Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you to hear your holy and inerrant word. I pray for the people that their souls may be open and receptive to your word. We know that this preached word only has power because of your spirit and because of your son, Jesus Christ. So we pray that our souls would be open and that these words would transform us. I pray for myself that I would speak the truth with conviction and knowing that these words are from you. And together, Father, I pray that we would glorify your name, hearing your words, and giving you all the praise that you deserve. We thank you, God. Please be with us as we continue worshiping you in this way. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Well, if you've been with us, you know that we've been going over the book of Genesis. And Genesis chapter 3 concludes with the banishing of Adam and Eve, the fall of mankind. And we come to chapter 4, and what we see here is we begin to see the effects of sin. What was that consequence? What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? Was it truly an atrocious act? Because if you read the story at face value, it seems as if God committed a cosmic overreaction. Adam and Eve eat uh, the fruit from the tree and they are banished from the garden and a flaming sword comes down and guards the tree of life. And I just want you for a second to think about that in real terms. What if you as your family, your child comes home hungry and looking for food? 
but you have prepared or set aside some apples, ready for some apple pie, and you tell your child, don't eat those apples. And then your child says, but I'm so hungry, and it's so good. And then he eats the apple. And then what you do is you turn around to your son and say, you will be banished from this house. And you kick them out of the house, and you tell them that they will no longer live. And for added emphasis, you take a flaming sword and put it down in front of your front door and said, you shall no longer enter. You would call the police. It's an overreaction. But I hope that you would see and trust in God that this was not a cosmic overreaction. For God understood the power of sin. God truly saw what sin would do humanity and to the rest of the world. When God approaches Adam and Eve and curses the ground and makes all these stipulations, God understands what human history was about to encounter. God understood the effects of sin and what sin would do. And the whole book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, actually the whole Bible deals with this concept of sin. What is sin? Because history will begin to play out. And what we will see is we will learn more about God. We will learn about what God requires of man. But we will also begin to understand what Adam introduced into humanity. That the power of sin is not something to be trifled with but to be taken seriously. And so what Cain and Abel is a quick case study on the ever-growing power of sin. But luckily for us, God also embeds in this case study the solution for sin and what we are to do. In this sermon, we will go over the life of Cain and we will go over the life of Abel. And we will see how sin has dominion over our lives but how truly Jesus saves us from the power of sin. So first, we will look at the life of Cain. You know, if we look at Cain, he has a pretty good start. Because here, Adam and Eve give birth to Cain, and Eve celebrates. She's worshiping God. When, when Cain is born, she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She's praising God. Human history is still going to be carried out, though Adam and Eve did this defying act, God has still blessed them with a son. And then Abel was born. And then over the course of time, it seems everything was going well. Cain was bringing up his offering. Abel was bringing up his offering. Um, but then all of a sudden, we get this phrase. We get this understanding that God did not favor Cain's offering. Let me just read for you in verse 3. In the course of time, and now that clause is important because this is not the first time Cain is giving his offering. This is a repetitive action that has been going out throughout their lives. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And through some revelation, it is made known to Cain that God was not pleased with Cain's offering. And then the big question always arises, what was wrong with Cain's offering? He was doing it, wasn't he? What, what made Abel's so much better? Now, I'm giving you a warning. There is a lot of ink spilled over why Cain's offering wasn't accepted, so 
I just want to let you know that there are different interpretations out there, but the interpretation I give you is the correct one, and you should believe me. Why I believe Cain's offering was rejected is because Cain disregarded the words of God. Remember, this was a repetitive action, and God at one point instructed Cain how to give his offering. Here, all we know is that Cain brought some offering to give to God. But if you read Leviticus, if, actually, if you read Leviticus, Deuteronomy, or Numbers, you see God gives very specific instructions on how these offerings are to be given. In Leviticus chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, If you offer a grain offering, and a grain offering is exactly what Cain was giving, if you offer a grain offering of the first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears, roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And over and over again, what was required of the grain offering was that Cain bring the first fruits. He was supposed to bring the first of the crop and bring them to God. Now you might be saying, aren't you reading too much into it? Not really, because if you look at Abel's description, it is very descriptive. Abel, verse 4, says this, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Very specific. But Cain's is general. Here we see that Cain does not take the rules and regulations of God seriously. He doesn't take the word of God seriously. And here when God confronts him, remember, God does not condemn him here, but he does confront him and show him that he is erring in how he's giving his offering. And he goes to Cain and he invites him into conversations and he says, Why are you downcast? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Sin is starting to brew in Cain's heart. If Cain was giving in faith, if Cain was giving really to please God, would he be angered at God's instruction? No, Cain was simply giving out of duty, out of obligation. And here, God does not condemn that, but he says you need to get your heart right because sin is crouching at your door. And he warns Cain, you must rule over it. But Cain cannot rule over it. He cannot. And thus begins his trajectory of sin. First, I, before I go into Cain's sin, I do want to explain what sin is. What is sin? We throw that word around all the time, but sometimes we don't know what it is. Is sin just being a bad person? Well, then the question begs, what is a bad person? Is it a shifting scale? No. Simply, sin is going against the will of God. It is going against the laws of God. It is going against the character of God. Sin at its deepest core is this. It is our belief that we are either equal to God or no more than God. We don't take God's rules seriously. 
And in that, this creator-creature distinction begins to blend, and we begin to believe that we know as much as God. We know how God should do things. We begin to dictate some of the terms to God. Remember, Adam and Eve were kicked out because they ate the fruit. But they weren't kicked out because they ate fruit. There was a temptation attached to that fruit. And what was the temptation that the serpent offers Eve? He says this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. The temptation was that Adam and Eve would be on par with God. And that temptation is quite powerful. Here Cain lets sin grab hold of his heart. And here Cain begins to hate God. There is no real reason Cain should hate Abel. There's none. Abel was minding his own business, doing his thing. It doesn't seem like Abel was obnoxious, but Cain went over and killed Abel. Why? Because he hated God. Sin, sinful actions, at the root cause of it is that a person hates God. And how do we know that Cain hates God? Well, what does he do when he kills Abel? He kills an image bearer of God. And this is not lost on Cain. Remember, chapters 1 through 3, Adam and Eve are continually referenced as people who bear the image of God. They have the task of God. They are to be fruitful and multiply. But here Cain goes against that law altogether. He kills. He is not fruitful. He does not multiply. He knows that Abel bears the image of God and thus destroys it. He hates God, and sin has gripped his heart. And here now we get to see the bigger distance between Cain and God. God comes in and inquires about Abel, and he asks Cain, what happened? What did you do? And here is a complete disregard for God. What does Cain say? He says, what? Am I my brother's keeper? How do I know where he is? He lies to the face of God, and God knew that this was coming. In the garden, we see Adam and Eve when God comes and confronts them, not saying that they have done anything wrong, but just wants a confession. They blame one another. But at least they told the truth. Eve tries to blame the serpent. Adam tries to blame Eve. But at least they were trying to get to the truth. Here, Cain altogether lies to God. He no longer respects God and desire and hates him, quite frankly. Doesn't want to put up with him. So we see that sin is beginning to take root in humankind. What we also begin to see is that sin begins to make you a psychopath. If you look and see what a psychopath is or a sociopath is, it is a person who has no conscience, who has no empathy and no sympathy whatsoever. And here, Cain is a psychopath. He never is apologetic of what he did to Abel. He is never remorseful. 
the only thing Cain can think about is Cain. Even after God doles out his punishment, listen to this. He goes, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And then Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Basically, Cain is saying, woe is me. This punishment is too much. He never says, God, you're right. I'm sorry. I committed sin. I killed my brother. I killed a loved one. He just goes, oh, man, the punishment's too much, God. I think we need to renegotiate. It's befuddling. There is no sympathy, no empathy from Cain. And it's weird that we have diagnosed at least in our day and age, what a mental disorder is, is someone who can only think about themselves, is a person who only cares about themselves, is a person who can no longer help their neighbor or empathize with others. It's a disorder. It's basically called sin. That's what sin is, your inability to love others and love God. Away from God, we're all on the road towards being psychotic, to be frank. And here we see sin begin to grow in its power, and we see its great manifestation. Yet at the same time, we also see the beauty of God. Here, God is gracious to Cain. Here, what we see is the common grace of God. Though Cain deserves punishment, though Cain deserves um, the worst of all punishments, God still says you will continue to live. God says that you, there will still be justice in this world. Cain, you will not die needlessly. You will bear this mark that I give you, and there will still be justice in this world. I don't know what the mark of Cain is, but it is God showing the world that people will still not be allowed to kill one another needlessly. Justice will reign. So God shows that even though you're Christian or non-Christian, it doesn't matter. Everyone deserves to be upheld in the same manner, to have justice. But another reality hits. We see the final consequence of sin. We see that when Cain finally sins and won't and does not repent, he is banned from the presence of God. Here, for the first time, God curses man himself and curses everything about him. Verse 12, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. In Genesis chapter 3, God only cursed the serpent and nobody else. But here, finally, God curses man. And from here on out, we will have two lines throughout the whole course of history. There will be humanity, a race that will be forever cursed by God, thrown into the eternal fire of hell. But there will also be another line, a righteous line in which God will redeem. But Cain and Abel marks the first time in human history that there will be two lines. And Cain's line will be the line in which they will no longer be in the presence of the Lord. 
In the very last verse, it says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Forever forbidden to enter into the presence of God, sin has made its mark on Cain. Cain will die never being in the presence of the Lord. He will be condemned to, to hell. But there is another line. There is another line. And this line is the line of Abel. And here in the title, I named it Being Abel. Because the hope and desire of church is always that you would be like Abel, that you would be in the line of Abel, that you would not be condemned, but that you would be one of the righteous ones. And how are we the righteous ones? How do we become in the line of Abel? Well, let's examine his life. When we look at Cain and Abel, we actually see that none of them are able to do anything on their own volition. This was the truth from the beginning. Cain was tasked to rule over his sin, but he never had the power to rule over his sin. It was never going to happen. If sin is able to cause death and cause all these diseases, how is a human, a single human going to overcome it? See, I think Abel took note and he knew that he wasn't going to be able to overtake it as well. What differs between Abel and Cain is not ability, it's what they put their trust in. Here we see Abel puts his faith in God and in God's words. How so? I want to read to you verse 3 again. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Again, that verse, Cain only brought some of the fruit, not the first fruits, but here it's oddly specific. Abel brings in the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. It occurs to me that God had explained exactly how he wanted his offerings, how exactly he wanted it. Because in Numbers 18, 17, this same offering comes up again, and God explicitly explains to Israel, this is how I want my offering. But the firstborn of a cow, or the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar and shall burn their fat as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Here, Abel followed God's word to the T, which means Abel believed in the power of God's word, which means that he had faith in God. And if you think I'm crazy, this is what the New Testament scholars picked up. The reason Abel's offering was more accepted than Cain's was because of Abel's faith. Hebrews 11, chapter 4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Brothers and sisters, when I tell you to be like Abel, I'm telling you to have faith in God's words like Abel did. See, if Abel believed in these instructions of the sacrifice and offerings, that means he also believed in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, 
when God cursed man, but God also promised to man that a seed would come and crush the head of the serpent. In good confidence, we can believe that Abel believed that there was a person coming that would defeat this great sin that his parents had caused. Abel believed in God's word, so believed in it to its every detail and its every point. Abel believed. Now, did Abel understand completely that it was going to be Jesus who was going to come, that he was going to come during the Roman Empire, that he was going to come and die on a cross? He probably didn't believe all that. But he believed that God was true to his word, that God was truly going to send somebody to redeem all of mankind. And now, us being on the other side of history, we must do the same and be like Abel and believe in the words of God. More importantly, believe in the word of God. We must believe in Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes to this earth, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one will come and enter into the presence of God unless you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You will never get rid of your sin or change your life around unless you believe in Jesus Christ. You will never understand the true greatness of life if you do not believe that Jesus is full God, full man, who has come down to redeem you from your sins. You must believe in Jesus, the true word. Because in that true word, there is true life. Abel believed in the words of God. He believed in the great promise. And even today, it is a great temptation not to believe in Jesus. Am I correct? There is a great temptation not to believe in the words of God. There's a great temptation to do it our way. There are so many Christians, even today, who say that Jesus is not the only way. Let's not be closed-minded. Let's be open-minded. Even though God says this, we don't have to do it exactly. We just have to get around what God says. But Jesus says, nope. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through me. There is only one way to live as a Christian, and that is making me the top priority of your life. All of us, we are prone to sin when we wander far away from the word, when we wander far away from prayer and Jesus Christ, we start making up our own rules. We begin sinning. We begin believing. We know what God knows. We begin to believe that we are equal to God, that we can start saying and making rules for ourselves. I don't need church. I don't need prayer. I don't need the community. I don't need to come to church. I don't need to do all these things. I don't mind having premarital sex. It's fine because truly it's what I want, so it's what should happen. I love money and I love power. It's what makes me feel good, so I'm going to pursue those things. Here is where we fall. And you know, sin is often quite sneaky. It is. 
It makes us believe that we are on the right path, that we are doing what's best for our lives. And we will find all the ways to justify our sinful actions because we believe we know more than God. I remember talking to this one man or hearing a story about this one man who wanted to be rich. He was on his path to being rich. And then there was a verse where Jesus came and said, it is harder for a man to enter, a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through, a need, uh, through an eye of a needle. Which means what? Basically, it's very difficult if you pursue wealth. But here, the rich man, literally pursuing the rich man, he said, no, no, that's not what it meant. I did some back study, and I found out that there is actually a needle of an eye called in the, in the Mediterranean land, and it was very difficult to enter, but camels can enter through it, but so we're good. I said, did all that research to justify his pursuit for money and to get biblical warrant for it if that's not the case. Now, look, if you're rich, that's great. If you like to work, that's great. I'm not saying those things are sins, but sometimes we love to distort Scripture or ignore Scripture so that it conforms to our wants, our desires, and it makes us realize how much we just don't like God. Abel, we need to be like Abel. We need to trust in the promises of God. We need to believe in God's holy word. We need to stick to it because that is where we find life. And look, this is one of the most important decisions and constant decisions you will have to make to believe in the word of Christ. Day in and day out, the world sometimes has a more appealing message. But we need to stick and be like Abel and stick to the word of God. And this will be the most defining thing in your life. It was the most defining thing in Abel's life. And here I am even talking about him today. What does Abel's name mean? We know what Cain's name means. The mother celebrated, gave a praise to God when Cain was born. He says, I have given birth to a man with the help of the Lord. And when Abel was born, she just said, his name's Abel. And then so I looked up, what is Abel's name? He surely has a name because ancient Hebrews always found um, meaning in a person's name. And when I looked it up, it was fitting. His name is meaningless. His name means vapor. To breathe air. There's nothing spectacular about his life in the worldly sense. But here we see that Abel was still talked about even today because of his great faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Cain, who is the psychopath, will actually go on to do a lot of great things. He will build the first city. His his lineage will just make great contributions to the culture. It seems that he gave birth to a bunch of Beethovens and Elon Musks. Created their family is the founder of music and instruments. They made tools to build cities. By any means, his family was impressive. But who cares? The New Testament doesn't care. They look at Cain's life and say that he was with the evil one. Heart 
filled with hatred. He was cursed. Here in the New Testament, they speak of Abel with glowing remarks. He speaks even today. Because our faith in God, our faith in Christ is what matters the most. Let me just end by with some quick application and quick review. The whole point is this. Sin is stronger than you think. Sin is absolutely adaptive. It doesn't show really easily. It comes into your heart without ever knowing it. And you will not be able to defeat it by yourself. You cannot change the course of your life by changing your habits, by changing certain things. And believe me, I love habits, I love routines, I love studying it, but it does not work by your own will and volition. Something deeper needs to change. Sin always wins. When it's sin versus man, sin will always win and you will always, always fall. So stop trying to defeat sin by yourself. Be like Abel. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you will truly have power. And I want to leave you with this. What does it practically mean to put your faith in Jesus Christ? For us, when we have a bad habit or if we know we're sinning, we just try to say, I'll stop doing X. I'll stop doing this. Well, it's not enough. Before you even get to that stage, you need to pray. You need to be on your knees repenting of your sin. Do you repent of the sin that you have? Oftentimes, I find myself praying to God and saying, God, man, I love money. I love money. Let's get real. Money is good. Money will provide. Money will do a lot of things. It will give you a lot of ice cream. But we know money's end, it's destruction. And so we don't just say, no, I'm not going to like money anymore. We give it to God and we say, God, I, this is more than I can bear. Take it from me. And slowly over time, God does deliver. God does deliver. God, I love power. God, I love my spouse maybe a little bit too much. I love, I love, name it. If it's not God, it's a sin. But here in Jesus Christ, we have the power to forge and have great power over sin. To be conquerors of sin and death. And the only way we can do that is by believing in Christ. And really being like Abel and having faith in the word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we have a way out. Lord, oftentimes we, we trust in other things. We trust in idols. We trust in um, our families. We trust in different programs. And though those things are good, they ultimately fail us. But you, O oh God, do not fail us. Our sins are forever forgiven because of the, what your son did on the cross. The power of sin is no more because of what your son did on the cross. So we pray that we would continually cling on to you, Jesus, because you are our strength and you are our power and you give us the ability to live the life we truly want to live, to be in your presence, to feel your grace, to feel your love. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.